I mean, there's a, a lot that can be done. I think step one is realizing or just becoming more aware, aware of how fear might be impacting um, how you show up either as a leader, how you show up in relationship with other people and, and how you show up as a leader of, of change in your respective organization. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by J Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Lomitech and sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Opwest, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, and Birthright Excel. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Meet Mark Minukas, managing partner at Co-Creation Partners. An engineer by training, he began his career as a Navy officer and member of the U.S. Naval Construction Battalions, Seabees, and the Navy dive community. In 2005, he brought his experience and insights on human and organizational factors and engineered systems to McKinsey & Company, where he worked as a consultant and member of the operations practice. Since leaving McKinsey to join co-creation partners, Mark has worked across multiple industries, including financial services, technology, manufacturing, IT services, and governmental offices to deliver both top and bottom line improvements and build high-performing cultures. Mark Minukas, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. Doing well. Thank you very, very much for joining me, Mark. Um, I'm excited to talk about, you know, leadership in a, in a different way. You know, a lot of times I talk about leadership in this show through, you know, tech experiences in a high tech company or through leading others. Today, we're going to be talking also about fear and, and your book, Unfear, but also a little bit about organizations and, and the way we place ourselves in them, as well as your own personal journey. Uh, we're going to start off with, with your experience co-owning two CrossFit gyms, and I'm going to have to understand why and, and what you learned from that. But you know, you're an engineer by profession in the U.S. Naval uh, Construction Battalion. You're the managing uh, director of co-creation partners, and you're, you're looking at, you know, how do we allow people to be their best selves and to break break whatever barriers they may have. And so I'm excited for these 20 minutes. Mark, tell me a little bit about yourself and then share with me the story of co-owning two CrossFit gyms. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the, the broad you know arc of my life, I started off my career as, as an engineer. Um, I was in the Navy for a period of time and then completely shifted gears into management consulting. For the longest time, I, I always felt like, uh, you know, true to how I was trained as an engineer, there was always one right answer uh, to any, any problem and any solution. And I found that in leadership and in organizational transformation, um, that was a very limiting idea. And I have discovered through a lot of trial and error over time that, um, you know, real effective leadership and Sustained organizational change happens when you focus on the human dimension as well as the technical dimension. And that means there isn't just one right, right solution. There's just a lot of sort of, you know, messiness and um, ambiguity that, that we have to wade into and, and deal with. And so that's kind of been the, the arc of my life. Um, and that's, you know, um, played out as well. I'm a dad to uh, two young girls who are nine and six. So that, you know, that human dimension is very much a part of that. And you mentioned I do some other projects like co-owning CrossFit gyms and 
you know, that's been, uh, you know, a labor of trying to understand how people can, you know, perform at a higher level, but, um, you know, helping people overcome, you know, some of their, their limiting beliefs to, you know, achieve higher levels of performance and well-being. Beautiful. So do you see the, the entrepreneurial endeavor of co-owning those gyms? Is that more on the side of, you know, continuing to help people be their best selves and breaking barriers now also in the physical world as in not, not just in the professional world. And, and is that the main motivation for this or is there, or is it more, you know, for your learning and for business related? I, for me, I think it's all the above. Um, you know, I start off CrossFit. I fell in love with it. You know, the first, first day I, uh, stepped into a CrossFit gym and, I really appreciated how it challenged conventional wisdom about what it meant to, you know, work out and pursue fitness. Um, you know, just by having a military background, I feel like I, you know, essentially wasted my time, you know, working out in gyms, you know, doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the standard back and bicep day and, you know, the leg day and, and CrossFit just really uh, kind of blew all that up and, you know, rearranged, uh, you know, how workouts can be done and, and elevated the level of intensity, um, that I felt like I could actually, uh, apply and, and use. And I saw a lot of other people making such great progress that, um, yeah. So I think, you know, I got into CrossFit because I was drawn to the, the, um, you know, the challenge of, you know, the underlying assumptions about what it means to, to be fit and I was also uh, wanting to become a an owner of a CrossFit gym because <laughs> I saw the impact it was having on people's lives, and I also just wanted to learn, um, you know, what it takes to actually create and run your own business. You know, at the time I was right. just, you know, a management consultant, and you know, it's one thing to do the analysis and give advice to other people; it's a very different thing to actually own your own business and deal with all the messiness, uh, you know, that, that comes with that. So, um, it's uh, been yes. a wonderful and, and- learning journey. On many levels, and obviously, you, know, you you did it also with McKinsey, and so obviously, you know, the things that you did, you were you know in the high, in the highest standards, and to me, it's you know also it's just inspirational this idea that you're understanding that you're doing a part of a, a part of the journey, and and you want to experience the other part as well. And so, Mark, tell me a little bit about <laughs> fear. What what does that mean to you? Um, yeah, so fear. Yeah, so I, I, you know, recently co-wrote a book with my business partner uh, Gaurav Butnagar on fear in organizations, and the reason we wrote that book is because, in our experience, fear sort of sat at the root of a lot of, you know, both performance and well-being issues. And we've discovered over time that in order to create real performance and do it in a sustainable way that that creates um, better well-being. Uh, you have to change how people relate to to fear. So what does fear mm-hmm. mean? Fear is just part of the human condition. And a lot of times we as leaders believe that we either need to create pressure in ourselves or others to generate results. And that works, but there's a, a long-term consequence of that. Or we believe that we have to eliminate and suppress fear and be fearless and, and all that. But, you know, fear is just, um, it's neither good or bad. It's just part of the, the human condition. It's just, it's, part of, uh, you know, we're built for survival in a way. And so fear is inherently useful. Um, but we either have a, a constructive, you know, positive relationship with that fear and see it as a, a cue for learning and growth, or it creates patterns that 
you know, create waste and dysfunction in our lives. And so, um, long way of saying fear is just, it's just part of what we experience in life and how we hold it is what leads to the outcomes that we experience. And so what is there to be done in, in your, in, in you and your partner's eyes in terms of fear, especially when it comes into your professional life and organizations? Yeah, I think the, I mean, there's a, a lot that can be done. I think step one is realizing or just becoming more aware, aware of how fear might be impacting um, how you show up, either as a leader, how you show up in relationship with other people, and, and how you show up as a leader of, of change in your respective organization. And a lot of mm -hmm. people are blind to the patterns that are not really effective. So, for instance, in my life, uh, you know, I've been a very competitive person. Uh, I started off, tell. Um, you know, was, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So with CrossFit, but, I, you know, going back to I was a, a, a golfer in college and, you know, just super competitive person, tried to do the best in, in school and get get all A's. And for a while that that served me quite well. But I was also driven by fear, you know, very deep fear of failure, of rejection of of isolation right. and not not belonging and for the longest time i didn't really see that you know i felt stress i probably felt some anxiety um but i channeled that into competitive uh you know pursuits and it, it worked huh. quite well for me you know i got got into good schools and get, got into good companies but at some point i looked back and was like wow i you know this is actually not serving me i've realized uh you know there's all kinds of uh you know waste and destruction about me um, that I was just blind to. So step one is just becoming aware of how, you know, fear is driving what you do and how it might not be working well for you. Right. Now, as you, as I go about that, how do I even, you know, what are some tangible ways for me to exercise my understanding of, of what, what is the fear? And still, okay, so I'm, I'm exhibiting these symptoms because of a fear so that I even know that I want to tackle it. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing we, we talk about in our book is uh, we describe these eight fear archetypes, but they're basically mm. patterns of behavior that uh, you know, people tend to demonstrate in the face of fear. Interesting. And the fear archetypes are ones that generally have a lot of downsides to them. There's some upsides, mm. but there's some downsides associated with them. So there's, there's two broad categories of, of archetypes uh, that we talk about. Um, one is uh, ones that are, you know, sort of aggressive or based on a, a fight response. Mm -hmm. And the others are um, more passive and based on um, flight and freeze responses. So the four aggressive responses are perfectionism and competitiveness uh, and controlling behaviors and fault-finding behaviors. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. these are, you know, just attempts by people to manage their own fear by standing out and being special and, and trying right. to be, you know, better than, than other people. Uh, right. And for a lot of people, they, they probably, you know, <laughs> these patterns, we see them all over the business world and they serve us yeah. in some ways, but uh, we're often blind to the ways that they're really not serving us. And then the right. passive archetypes, uh, we call them the likables. So those are people who, you know, are, are trying to, uh, you know, be nice, but not really being on, honest with other people. Uh, we have the sticklers, you know, that they'll throw the rule book at you. The minions, these are people who just their only boss, 
is, uh, or the only customer is the boss, I should say, and then avoiders. Yep. You know, these are the people that would do anything just to avoid conflict and, and confrontation. Right. And again, they serve people in, in many ways, but then there's a lot of dysfunction. So to get back to your original question about, uh, you know, what does it take to address fear, you know, for ourselves and organizations? Step one is just becoming aware of, of these patterns and recognizing that it's not all upside. Right. Can you take me back to your life a little bit? What were your experiences with, you know, with the world that that have led you to to understand this more more concretely and and become so passionate to be thinking about it to the point where you're writing a book about fear and then helping others, you know, unfear, you know, within their life. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, because I don't know that I'm the typical person to be talking about a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not aware of a lot of people with engineering backgrounds who talk about organizational culture and all this soft stuff. Um, but uh, I've, you know, throughout my life, I, there's been a couple of experiences that have sort of led me to, to this work. Uh, you know, one is just, you know, being in the, the Navy and, and being in an environment where um, leadership is a big part of what you do. So I learned, you know, through, you know, both good and bad examples of, of leadership, you know, what does it mean to uh, be an effective leader, to take care of people, uh, to help people work through their, their fears. So I just intuitively had some experience uh, with that. When I was in graduate right. school at UC Berkeley, I also studied human factors and engineered systems. So I was already okay. starting to think about, um, you know, not just the technical solution as being something you need to focus on, but there's something about how human beings show up and how they're organized that ultimately determine whether or not um, an engineered system or an organization uh, performs well. And then when right. I, uh, you know, shifted into management consulting, I was, you know, very focused on the technical dimensions and, you know, uh, you know, the, the general way of, of uh, high powered consulting is you tend to create a lot of fear in organizations because that creates quick movement. But I found yeah. myself coming back, you know, six to 12 months later to many of my clients and seeing that those results, you know, all our brilliant plans and our, our brilliant solutions weren't sustained. And I, you know, that was frustrating for me, you know, both for the people that I worked with, but also as someone who was interested in organizational performance. And I, you know, continually become more, you know, more appreciative of these deeper mindset issues and even deeper than that just the fears that we hold as being that sort of leverage point to create better systems now is there room for managers team leaders ceos c-level executives to think more concretely about about fear within their organization is there is there a way to even do that obviously you know until now we've talked about you know, the personal fear of every person figuring out what archetype they are. But how do leaders, yeah. how should leaders interact with this concept? Well, I think first is just recognizing that it's, it's there. And then there's a, a whole variety of, you know, specific uh, mindsets and practices that people can, um, you know, consider and, and play around with that would help them change how they relate to, to their fears. So um, I'll just, you know, 
list out a couple, but one is is mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is you know it used to be in the the realm of just the the spiritual um, mm-hmm. minded people, but it's becoming something that's that is more more mainstream. And you know, at least the way I would define it is it's simply becoming more aware of what's going on in your own mind at any given point sure. in time. And so a lot of times we're quite lost in thought and we haven't really developed a practice to really, you know, be more aware of what's going on in our body and, you know, what's what sort of emotional state are we in and what sort of mood do we have in any given moment. And so just strengthening that muscle is is something that's very practical and concrete for people to do. Uh, another one is learning how to have effective, difficult conversations. A lot of times, uh, you know, people are stuck in, you know, mindset of right and wrong versus um, effectiveness. And so mm-hmm. that changes how we show up in conversation with other people. And so if we're believing that we're right and other people are wrong, we have conversations in one way. But if we can show up with a mindset of effectiveness, we can show up and share what's going on for us, but also listen and tune into what's going on with other people in a very different way. And that creates more movement in relationships and develops more trust. And that that creates, you know, both higher performance and better well-being in teams. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I want to go back a little bit to your childhood, not, you know, before, before the military, before golf. You know, I want to hear more about you as an engineer also, sort of in the mindset. And what really fascinated you growing mm-hmm. up? So today, obviously, you're fascinated by human factors and behavior in the intersection of engineering and organizations. But what, what were you curious about growing up when you were just, you know, going to elementary school, middle school? Mm. Taking me way back. Yes. Yeah, I was a curious kid. I mean, I <laughs> I think as a child, so there's, you know, I guess going back to fear a little bit um, is as a kid, um, I struggled to fit in. I struggled mm. to fit in like, a, you know, a lot of kids probably feel. So, um, you know, I felt the pain of, you know, rejection and not being invited to the things and, you know, maybe not uh, being picked to, you know, be on, um, you know, the sports team that I wanted to be on, you know, it was cut from, you know, my uh, baseball team in junior high school, for instance, you know, and those, those sort of experiences really, really stuck with me. So I think that, you know, informed my competitive wow. um, uh, orientation in the world. Um but what fascinated me as a, as a kid was how things worked as well. I was just always fascinated mm-hmm. by, um, you know, how both mechanical things work, but also just how people worked and how, you know, how the environment works. So I don't know. I've always been a bit of a systems thinker, as uh, I guess is, is one way to put it. I love it. And what inspires you to do the work that you're doing? So besides, you know, the curiosity that you have for your field, where where do you where do you gather your your own inspiration? Yeah, it might sound a bit trite, but um, having a positive impact on people's lives, and I'll make that very very concrete. You know, there's there are times where I will hear back from someone after you know having worked with them a couple of years ago, and they'll come back and say, "Hey, the the things I learned with you and with co creation partners is continue to have this you know." 
really significant impact in my life. And I've recently figured out how to be more effective at work and I got a promotion and my personal life is better. Hearing those stories uh, are actually what sustain me. It's always nice to have, you know, business success, but, you know, really feeling like I'm getting through to to people and that they're figuring out for themselves how they can live a better life is actually really inspiring. Amazing. And if you had to choose a few words to describe yourself, what would they be? Um, I would say uh, dad, systems thinker, and wanderer. I'm constantly wow, wandering. Dad, systems thinker and wanderer. I love it. Mark, thank you very, very much. This was wonderful. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for all the good that you're doing to people and stay safe and stay healthy. Likewise, Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you. 